We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 614 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Thursday, July 20th, 2023. You can always contact the show. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi Podcast at yahoo.com. Tweet from Rob Bailey. Al, on the day of the big NFL owners vote this Thursday, can you bring back some celebratory go-go Thursday music? Come on, Al. We need you to be our DJ host (laughs) for this party. Uh, Thank you for the tweet, Rob. Email from Michael. Are you going to break out some celebratory go-go on your next pod? It would be the perfect celebration and a bit more lively than a Jason Wright. There it is. (laughs) We are almost out of the woods. Thanks, as always, for the great shows. Well, thank you for that, Mike. Much appreciated. It was in 2016 that I started something called Go Go Thursday. Uh, I did this on a radio show I was hosting at the time. The Morning Blitz with Al Galdi. Weekdays from 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. Go Go Thursday, a ping of homage to the music of Washington, D.C. And so, on this most momentous Thursday in Washington, D.C. sports history, I present to you a special one-time return of Go-Go Thursday. And the Go-Go that comes to us is from the Redskins marching band. Uh, This was done at FedEx Field on October 14th, 2012. Do you remember what happened on October 14th, 2012? The Skins beat the Minnesota Vikings 38-26 at FedEx Field in the game that featured the famous run by then-Skins quarterback Robert Griffin III, a.k.a. RG3. The electrifying fourth-quarter, third-and-six, 76-yard shotgun touchdown run. Boy, (laughs) were we as Skins fans feeling good that day, and boy, are we set to be feeling quite good on this day. Thursday, July 20th, the day on which NFL owners are expected to vote on the sale of the Commanders from Dan and Tanya Snyder to the Josh Harris Group. The day on which Dan Snyder's 24-plus year reign as owner of the team is dealt a true death blow. The go-go shall flow. Here you go. And here's the best part.
I could listen to that all day. The Skins Marching Band. What a performance on that glorious day of October 14th, 2012. And here we are now on this glorious day of July 20th, 2023. Hello and welcome to this most special Thursday installment, a go-go Thursday installment of the Al Galdi podcast, the only Washington, D.C. area sports podcast or show for which there is a new episode each weekday, Monday through Friday, with each episode out oh so early each weekday morning. You are never unsure when the next episode of this podcast is coming out. Uh, We on this show talk commanders on every episode of the show, regardless of the time of year. And you can bet your bottom dollar (laughs) that we are talking commanders on this episode of the show. We shall see what exactly happens and how what happens happens uh, this Thursday. But yes, today is the day, the long anticipated day on which the last major step in the process of the sale of the team is expected to go down. NFL owners approving the sale of the team from the Snyders to the Josh Harris Group. Coming up next segment, I'm going to chat with a good friend of the show, Kyle Smith for GM, a writer for Hogshaven. Uh, He does not publicize his real name. He is mysterious. He is enigmatic, but he writes a lot of smart and insightful stuff for Hogshaven, including a piece that came out last Thursday, July 13th, headline, quote, three easy actions Washington's new owners can take in their first week to set the tone, end quote. Uh, We will examine what the Josh Harris group can do right away to set the proper tone for the group's ownership tenure. Uh, We'll also get into what kind of a 2023 season the commanders are poised to have and the notion of the team under this new ownership winning back fans. How realistic is that? How doable is that? Also on the show, uh, I will talk Nationals. The Nats on Wednesday night, another bullpen meltdown. Uh, This in an 8-3 loss at the Chicago Cubs. Four Nats relievers combined to allow six runs in three innings. This off what happened on Tuesday night when four Nats relievers in a 17-3 loss at the Cubs combined to allow a jaw-dropping 14 runs in two and two-thirds innings. Here's all that you need to know about this Nats bullpen right now. So the Nats on Wednesday afternoon put reliever Paolo Espino on the 15-day injured list with a flexor strain of his right ring finger. The corresponding roster move was the Nats recalling reliever Rico Garcia from AAA Rochester. The Nats on July 15th signed Rico Garcia to a minor league contract of him having been designated for assignment by the Major League Worst Oakland A's on July 7th. The Nats are going with a reliever who just got DFA'd by the worst team in the majors, the A's. Even the lowly A's were like, we don't want this guy. Uh, And now this guy is in the Nats Major League bullpen. Rico Garcia actually pitched for the Orioles uh, last season. Speaking of the O's, uh, I have a proper Orioles segment for you. And uh, that would be the American League leading O's. Thank you very much. Uh, The O's on Wednesday afternoon beat the National League West leading Los Angeles Dodgers 8-5 at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. The Tampa Bay Rays on Wednesday afternoon lost at the American League West leading Texas Rangers 5-1, completing a three-game sweep. And so the O's now are five percentage points ahead of the Rays for the best record in the American League and for first place in the American League East. And next up for the O's is a four-game series at the Rays. I tell you, if you are a combo Commanders-Orioles fan, as I know that many of you are, this is some week for you. New ownership For the Commanders and the O's of the best record in the American League. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Philip C., the PhD, uh, writes Philip, on July 20th, 1969, a momentous and indeed shocking event occurred. Two humans walked on the moon for the first time ever. This July 20th, Another momentous and shocking event will hopefully occur, the approval of the sale of Washington's NFL team. 
I'm reminded of Neil Armstrong's famous declaration upon stepping foot on the moon. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. So I have contemplated what is the best way to complete the analogous phrase for us that begins, that's one small step for a fan, dot, dot, dot. Perhaps to rhyme with what Armstrong said, that's one small step for a fan, we're finally released from the fan grind. (laughs) I'm sure there are better ways to complete the phrase to commemorate the astronomical proportions of what we are anxiously awaiting on 7.20.23. I'm sorry this date does not have quite the ring of (laughs) 2.2.22. Thank you for the email, Philip. Yeah, man, few things in life have the ring of 2.2.22. But I love that historical parallel. July 20th, 1969, Neil Armstrong became the first person to walk on the moon. July 20th, 2023, NFL owners are expected to approve the sale of the commanders from Dan and Tanya Snyder to the Josh Harris Group. I'm not sure which occurrence is more significant. Well, what also is significant is what's happening in the home and auto insurance markets right now. Uh, We are routinely seeing 20% increases in home and auto insurance, even when the account is clean, meaning no accidents or violations on the auto insurance and no claims on the property insurance. You right now have every reason to shop your home and auto insurance, and that's why you should get with BMC Insurance. Check out BMC Insurance. Go to insurancebmc.com. You'll be put in touch with the owner and president, Matt Brooks, a loyal listener of this podcast. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. BMC Insurance, it offers home insurance, auto insurance, and also small business insurance in Maryland, Virginia, Washington, D.C., and North Carolina. BMC Insurance is an independent insurance agency, meaning that it has many, as in dozens, of insurance carriers it works with to make sure that clients are always paying competitive rates. Uh, What's especially great about BMC Insurance is that it has relationships with its clients. Uh, BMC Insurance is a trusted advisor for your insurance needs. BMC Insurance continues to work with clients after sales. Uh, It has team members who actually shop clients insurance every year when they renew. And BMC Insurance does this proactively so that you don't have to. BMC Insurance will save you time and money. And perhaps most telling, BMC Insurance's client retention rates historically are much higher than industry averages. When people get BMC Insurance, they stay with BMC Insurance. Don't get gouged on your home and auto insurance. Check out BMC Insurance. Go to insurancebmc.com. Talk to my guy, Matt Brooks, and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. And BMC Insurance does offer small business insurance. So if you're looking for general liability, workers' comp, or commercial auto insurance, BMC Insurance can help. Visit insurancebmc.com. That's insurancebmc.com. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. All right, so this episode of the Al Galdi podcast is for Thursday, July 20th, the day on which NFL owners are expected to vote on the sale of the commanders from Dan and Tanya Snyder to the Josh Harris Group. And it is on this day that we begin quite the eight-day stretch for the commanders. Uh, We, on Thursday, July 20th, have this expected approval from NFL owners on the sale of the team. We, on Friday, July 21st, may well hear from Josh Harris in his first public words as commander's owner. Uh, the commanders have announced a training camp pep rally at FedEx Field for Friday afternoon at 1. The event is being hosted by a couple of friends of this podcast, former Redskins tight end Logan Paulson and former Skins corner Fred Smoot. Now, the team doesn't specifically address whether the Josh Harris group will be at the pep rally in some form, but the team uh, wouldn't say that until the sale is approved. But also on Friday, July 21st, uh, we have rookies due to report for Commander's Training Camp. We on Tuesday, July 25th, have veterans due to report for Commander's Training Camp. And we on Thursday, July 27th, have the first practice of 2023 Commander's Training Camp. And, <laughs> oh, by the way, we sometime over these next eight days could finally have the release 
of the Mary Jo White Report. Uh, oh, a lot be happening with the commanders right now. But the biggest item, clearly, is the change in ownership. And so I'm very pleased to welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast right now someone who has great perspective on the commanders. He goes by the name Kyle Smith for GM. Uh, he is a writer for Hogshaven, which is a terrific site that covers the commanders. You can follow him on Twitter at Smith4GM with the number four. Uh, he operates in anonymity, but he has written some really good stuff for Hogshaven. He is a smart, analytical Commanders fan, and it's nice to have him back on the podcast. Does this feel real to you, <laughs> that what we've all wanted for so long, but also felt would never happen, Dan Snyder selling the team, actually, truly, is about to be done? It it doesn't feel real, you know, and I feel like I can't believe it until I actually you know, see the reports, hear Josh Harris do his first press conference and that sort of thing, um, a, a little numb to it. I mean, I, I think the strange thing is at some level, I did think eventually Snyder was going to be gone, I, but I was also very, um, <laughs> very uh, not content, but I was, you know, I was also facing the reality that I, I may never see another owner of the Washington Commanders, and, and did I really want to have to endure that for you know, the rest of my years. Uh, and so I, I'm, I'm excited. Um, I think it gives us all hope, you know, um, are they going to be perfect? I'm sure they're not going to be perfect, but it's just, you know, the situation with, as we all know, with Dan Snyder was, it was never going to get better no matter, um, what he did, um, or tried. And so really this gives us an opportunity to, to hopefully see this team ascend to the, uh, the heights, uh, that it once did again. Yeah, and of course, it has been way too long since the team was at those sites. So what I really want to focus on with you is what now? Uh, what should be next with the team, with the Josh Harris group owning the team? You last Thursday, July 13th, came out with a piece for Hogshaven, headline, quote, three easy actions Washington's new owners can take in their first week to set the tone, end quote. Let's go through these three actions. Uh, first up, don't sugarcoat the mess. As you write, quote, after paying $6 billion in a business transaction, I would assume the last thing a buyer would want to publicly admit is that he purchased a deeply distressed asset. However, as astonishing as it is to say about something worth so much, it's entirely true. Josh Harris and Mitch Rails, the two foremost investors in the team, have local roots, and surely they know that as well as any diehard fan does. Harris should address it head-on in his early comments, end quote. How should Harris address the mess? Again, I don't think she needs to to ruminate on the fact that it was it's been a disaster here. You know, everybody who's been here recognizes that. But I also think recognize that you know some damage has been done to the the organization. Some serious damage has been done to the organization, the franchise, the fan base. That there are people who are going to be very gun shy as a result of the things that ha have happened, both on the field and off the field, um, and and you know recognize it and then move on from it that's fine but like don't don't try to act as though you know this is a smooth transition from like a relatively functional regime to uh, a new one and I, I think it's sort of like allow allow that healing to begin um, for the, the the fan base and, and recognize also that you know maybe um, the, they're going to attempt to go to the extra mile to really separate themselves from from what came before them. So that's really what, what I was talking about there. So um, I think that it allows for a connection with the fan base, you know, to basically say, look, we, we, we all know, <laughs> we all know what happened here, um, but we're all committed to trying to, to make things better. And that, you know, I guess it's, it's kind of a two way street. I mean, hopefully uh, a lot of the fans are going to give these guys a shot too and try to really make the experience better, um, commit to doing things like supporting the team, uh, you know, going to, to games and all those kinds of things, um, you know, maybe buying merchandise if people are so inclined, even though, you know, there are still things that exist, like FedEx Field is terrible, um, but there, there's nothing these guys can do to change that the FedEx field um, or the location of FedEx field in, you know, the next four weeks, it's got to be, that's going to be a multi-year strategy. So it's, it's sort of these near term 
actions that I thought that they could take to, in order to uh, to really just let people know, look, there's a new set of sheriffs in town, and uh, we're going to be doing things a lot differently than they were done before. Do you think that the words Dan Snyder uh, should be said by Josh Harris in his first public comments as commander's owner? <laughs> I think I may probably prefer he didn't say his name. I mean, it really doesn't it can, can go unspoken. We all know what he's talking about if he alludes to to it. And um, I, I think, you know, I, I don't want him to come off, not that I'm saying he would, but I don't want him to come off as petty or, or um, you know, taking a shot. He doesn't need to take the ad hominem shot. The rest of us, believe me, um, uh, can make that clear enough. So I think he just could sort of speak loosely to um, the way things have been done or, or, you know, the, the previous administration or, or those kinds of things. It's, it doesn't have to be explicitly, you know, Dan and Tanya Snyder were, um, you know, ineffective um, dysfunctional managers or whatever it was. And I don't think that Josh Harris would do that. I would be stunned if he did anything but take the high road regarding Dan Snyder. Uh, the second easy action that you suggest for the Josh Harris group in its first week of ownership of the commanders, be more present. Uh, Dan, over his 24 plus years as owner of the team, was uh, too present <laughs> in football operations and not present enough in communicating to fans and being a true leader. How should the Harris group be more present? Yeah, so this is uh, this sort of does go hand in hand with number one. It's uh, part of it is you know be around you know whether it's Josh Harris or Mitch Rails or Magic Johnson or you know whoever else is going to be the face sort of the ownership team. Be around in part because the more they're around, <laughs> the more uh, fans can recognize. Look, things really have changed. You know, we're not. You don't need to worry about the old. Um, the old guy who was here, these are the people who represent the organization now, and they're going to be up front and center, um, you know, talking about, uh, you know, their interest in having the team succeed or whatever interesting initiatives that they're working on. Um, I saw just yesterday that I guess uh, at least Rails, Harris, and Magic Johnson are going to be at FedEx, I think, on, there's going to be a press conference or some kind of event on Friday, I think, maybe one. Um, so, you know, that, that's great, you know, get out in front of the fans early on, um, let people know uh, that you're, you know, you're excited that you have a, a vision, uh, for this franchise and that you're really committed to spending, investing your time and energy, um, in this organization. And certainly like a guy like Harris, who's owns the Sixers and the Devils, you know, it's possible he could end up spending a fair amount of time, um, uh, on those organizations and you know over the last six months or something like that while they were both in the playoffs you certainly saw him making a, a lot of appearances on the court or, or rinkside um which is great but i kind of hope that for the at least maybe the next year or two this is going to be his top priority i mean i hope for the next dec several decades it'll be his top priority but but um i think uh you know having them around no and like you say definitely do not this is not a call for meddling in football <laughs> operations <laughs> but it but it is you know it's also it is also you know um at the beginning of the season um you know i think like guys like um steve bashadi with the ravens you know he'll have you know a sit down i think usually with like his general manager and and the press corps you know before the season to talk about sort of their expectations and the things they're working on I, i'd like to have something like that you know I, I, if the owner is actually functional and um involved in the organization in a way that's constructive i'd be curious and i'm certain certain the, the rest of the press uh group would would be very interested in hearing what he has to say and like what his plans are and and maybe you know if the team isn't doing well he's there to answer tough questions um which i think is good because i think that there's a lot of you know the last guy you know sort of running away from those difficult questions going into you know becoming a recluse essentially in terms of interactions with the press which certainly didn't make things any any better um and and so i hope these guys will keep a high public profile um you know in terms of supporting and uh promoting the organization 
there certainly is a more than reasonable balance that can be struck between being present, but not being meddlesome, you know, like, I don't think that that's that difficult of a balance to strike. Uh, The third easy action that you suggest for the Josh Harris group in its first week of ownership of the commanders improve the experiences at FedEx Field and at the team facility. You know, it's funny with the stadium situation, the Harris group almost certainly is going to have to spend billions of dollars on a new stadium. But that new stadium doesn't figure to be ready until at least, what, the 2028 season? And so we're probably looking at at least another five seasons at FedEx Field. And so the Harris Group realistically is going to have to spend money on both a new stadium and on improving FedEx Field. Right. I, I don't see how you get away without spending probably tens of millions of dollars on FedEx. Like you say, it's the next five years, um, maybe maybe six years that you're going to be there. And it's just going to, you know, it's going to continue to deteriorate otherwise. Um, Even by, you know, Dan Snyder standards, I was appalled at sort of at the condition of, you know, some of the elements of the stadium. It just, I mean, how can you, how can you own a multi-billion dollar franchise and have seat, you know, um, seat cushions that are like, you know, shredded and and um you know destroyed i understand maybe at the end by the end of a season there's things that aren't going to get repaired until the off season but then to start a season with with uh elements of the stadium that are in that condition and of course we know the you know the the water pipe breaking and the the railing breaking loose on Jalen Hurts or whatever. It's like, you know, th- these kinds of things. It's like have somebody go through like uh, a top notch contractor, <laughs> just go through, put together a punch list and, you know, write the check to get these things fixed so that the stadium isn't like a death trap over the next five years. Um, so uh, I know, yeah, it's going to, it's going to be a financial investment, but I think it's a, uh, it's it, one, that is something that probably could be turned around pretty quickly. I would think probably before the regular season, if you're really committed to it. Um, and, uh, and like, just show the, the fans um, a good faith effort to get that, done um and then the ashburn piece really speaks to you know the uh, the player survey that was done that um spoke to sort of the poor condition of some of the practice facilities and whatnot and and uh again that may be a little bit longer term investment but i think there's probably some pretty easy things that could be done there um that's going to be more behind the scenes for the fans but um let's let the players recognize that they're appreciated as well, and they deserve something. Uh, facilities that are to the standard of uh, the rest of the pro facilities in the league. Much more with Kyle Smith for GM on the Josh Harris Group becoming the new ownership of the Commanders is coming up. Uh, the Harris Group buying the team is a rather big event, uh, and if you have a big event that you're planning, know that catering by Uptown is the DMV's number one catering service. Uh, catering by Uptown. It is a family business that prides itself on its signature dishes and flawless presentations and catering by Uptown goes beyond just food. Catering by Uptown offers personalized consultation and event planning assistance that are outstanding, including venue coordination, custom catering menu selection from over a thousand delicious dish selections, and a day of event coordinator who will make sure that everything runs smoothly. Uh, From putting together and executing a menu to picking linens uh, to selecting an excellent florist, Catering by Uptown is committed to meeting your needs and exceeding your expectations. Uh, Whether you're having a wedding or a corporate event, an intimate gathering, or a gala, Catering by Uptown is the way to go. Visit cateringbyuptown.com and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Uh, Also, know this, Catering by Uptown is looking for summer help, uh, specifically for the event waitstaff. No experience is necessary, and you get paid in-house training. This is a great opportunity if you're looking for summer work. Visit cateringbyuptown.com. That's cateringbyuptown.com. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. More now with Kyle Smith for GM, writer for Hogshaven. So we know that uh, so many people are happy that Dan Snyder is selling the Commanders. Josh Harris, just in not being Dan, has a lot of momentum. There will be a honeymoon period of that, there is no doubt. But for how long will we have that honeymoon period? 
Uh, we know that uh, us fans of the Redskins slash Washington football team slash commanders have taken a beating over these last 24 plus years and really the last 30 years because things did not go so well for the Skins from 1993 through 1998 and then Dan bought the team in May 1999. How patient will slash should fans be with the Josh Harris group to get the team on track? Yeah, I think, you know, they, they, realistically, you know, they probably have a few years um, of a grace period. And like I say, this year, basically, they're they're operating with the old regime's, um, uh, you know, coaching staff and front office and, and business operations. And, you know, everybody, I think, who's reasonable would say, okay, they're going to give these folks a chance to show who they are. They're going to get it. They're going to get evaluated. Um, and you know, there's going to be probably some changes made at the next off season. And that seems like, you know, a reasonable thing to do, certainly on football operations. That's been my position is that, you know, I'm not, not Ron Rivera's biggest fan, but it's too late to do anything for, um, this upcoming season, uh, on that front. I did hope that there would be some changes on business operations because I think I, I personally think that you can tell, um, you know, what's been done well there, what hasn't been done well there. And I guess I don't see it as critical um, in terms of the timing with the season starting and that sort of thing. Um, but but I think they get this year as sort of a mulligan. And then, of course, when they bring in their new people um, next year, uh, those folks are going to get um, a little bit of time as well. What I'll say, though, is, you know, roster-wise <laughs> – I mean, the roster is in pretty good shape, I think. You know, again, it's going to obviously come down largely to how Sam Howell's able to play, and there's some questions on the offensive line. But, I mean, this is not a situation where you're going to tear the football operations down to the ground, even if Rivera gets um, fired or, 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 you know, gently released um, next year. So it's, it is a little bit of a different situation than I think a lot where, where the, you know, if the, if the team was a disaster, um, then you could talk, be talking full rebuild. But I think if, even if somebody new comes in, there's probably not going to be uh, massive changes on the roster front, I wouldn't think. In terms of the Commander's 2023 season, you know, I see this team as having a wide range of realistic outcomes. I totally could see this team cratering and having like a 4-13 and regular season, but I also could see the team having like a 10-7 and regular season. I mean, the team certainly has major questions, but the team also has a good bit to like. What are you anticipating from this team this coming season? Yeah, so I, I'm I'm feeling pretty optimistic. I think actually this season we'll see how camp goes. But I right now, you know, I'm in that sort of like ten and seven, actually maybe like eleven and six camp. I don't I don't really see um, how it completely implodes. I mean, I just think about last year where Carson Wentz was about as terrible as you could get, and then you know Taylor Heineke was worse than average. I mean, I, and and the team was was pretty uniformly competitive. I mean, this defense should be nasty this year. Um, and I think how it's capable of being, you know, an average quarterback. And I think if he's an average quarterback, this is a pretty good team. So, um, I, like I say, I think I'm, I'm pretty optimistic, um, about where it goes. I, you know, you, you bring up the enemy and I think that really, that kind of is the X factor. You know, it's, it's, it, we saw sort of, some of the shortcomings with with Scott Turner and what he tried to do, and the question really we're, we're really going to find out this year whether or not the enemy was a significant part of that success in Kansas City, or whether he was, um, you know, sort of literally and figuratively just on the sidelines, um, uh, you know, getting um, uh, having the advantage of Andy Reid's tutelage and and the fact that Patrick Mahomes is a first ballot Hall of Famer. So. Um, I don't know, but right now, as things stand, I'm I'm pretty optimistic. That may be the ownership change rubbing off on me, but um, but uh, I, I think I think this team should have made the playoffs last year, even with some really really questionable quarterback play. And I think Sam Howell's capable of playing better than that. We know that the team has lost a lot of fans over the last 15 years. Now, whether those fans are totally checked out or are still paying attention but just not spending money on the team, I think is an interesting question. But clearly, the Josh Harris group needs to both try to get a good number of these fans back and create new fans. 
specific to getting fans back. Is that as simple as the team winning or is that not as simple as just winning? I think it probably is as simple as that because I think, you know, Al, you and I are, are diehard fans and the folks that probably we interact with on a, a regular basis are pretty diehard fans. But I think most <clears throat> most fans um, uh, are, you know, are are fans of teams that are relatively successful. I mean, you know, it's easy for the Ravens to have attracted tons and tons of people because people like being around uh, winning teams, supporting winning teams, going to, uh, you know, game watching parties with their friends and watching their team win. And so I think if Washington wins uh, consistently, you're going to see a lot of people um, come back into the fold, but that probably is going to be the the primary factor for whether or not a lot of folks come back and certainly also whether or not young, new young fans can get recruited into the fan base because young kids, again, they're, they're, I, I don't get the sense that there's a, a big cohort of, you know, under, 30 individuals who are Washington Commanders fans. Certainly there are some, but there hasn't been a lot to root for in, in, in most of those people's, you know, lives, uh, in ter- uh, lifetimes. Um, so I think, I think winning is, is going to be the most critical element of this and certainly having a ownership group who we're not embarrassed to be associated with and that sort of thing, um, will help as well. I know it's like, just don't be an embarrassment, okay? Winning is hard, we get that, but stop with the clown show. Just the clown show ending is of great value. Absolutely, yeah. Um, it's, you know, at some point, people begin to question themselves as to, like, why am I associating with with bad people or, or you know, why am I helping to enrich <laughs> this guy who's, who's somebody who's pretty, um, you know, loathsome. No doubt. Well, uh, I always enjoy our conversations. Kyle Smith for GM, writer for Hogshaven. Uh, My friend, (laughs) this is quite the day, man. Enjoy it, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Al. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Well, the Nationals' bullpen on Wednesday night got rocked again. Tuesday night, we in the Nats' 17-3 loss at the Chicago Cubs saw four Nats relievers combined to allow a staggering 14 runs in two and two-thirds innings. Wednesday night, we in an 8-3 loss at the Cubs saw four Nats relievers combined to allow six runs in three innings. So Nats relievers over these final two games at the Cubs combined to allow 20 runs in five and two-thirds innings. Just brutal. Uh, 
This Nats bullpen is so bad and is in an especially bad way right now with relievers uh, like Hunter Harvey and Carl Edwards Jr. on the 15-day injured list. Uh, the Nats lost two of the three games in this series at the Cubs. The Nats now are 38-58, and 58, second-worst record in the National League, and the Nats now have a run differential of minus 105. That is the second-worst run differential in the National League. Uh, the Nats on Wednesday night did overcome a 3-1 eighth inning deficit. That was nice, and I give the Nats credit for that. But the Nats allowed six runs over the seventh and eighth innings as, again, four Nats relievers combined to allow six runs in three innings. Uh, Jordan Weems allowed a run in one and two-thirds innings. He tossed a perfect bottom of the six with two strikeouts, but he in the bottom of the seventh allowed a run on a leadoff walk of the Cubs' number nine batter, Tucker Barnhard, uh, a pass ball by catcher Kbert Ruiz, and an RBI double by Mike Talkman off the ivy on the right center field wall for a 3-1 Cubs lead, although Talkman uh, was thrown out in his attempt to stretch the double into a triple, thanks to a nice relay throw by shortstop C.J. Abrams. Joe LaSorsa faced one batter, and got one out. And then we had a disastrous five-run eighth inning by the Cubs. Mason Thompson, uh, he officially allowed four runs in two-thirds of an inning. He, in this bottom of the eighth, faced six batters and got just two outs. He gave up a leadoff single by Seiya Suzuki to center field, issued a walk of Christopher Morell, gave up a bunt single by Miles Mastroboni on a bunt that went off home plate and went straight up in the air uh, to load the bases with no outs. And then Thompson gave up a tie-breaking RBI sack fly by the ex-Nat, Jan Gomes, for a 4-3 Cubs lead. And Thomas then issued a two-out walk of Mike Talkman to load the bases. Mason Thompson in this outing threw 33 pitches, a mere 15 strikes versus 18 balls. So note, the Nats in this game uh, used one of their top two relievers in this current configuration of the bullpen in Mason Thompson, and he was not good. I mean, he was not good at all. Uh, and then Corey Abbott came into the game in this bottom of the eighth. He came into the game with the bases loaded, two outs, and the Nats trailing 4-3, and Abbott to the first batter he faced, gave up a two-out grand slam by Nico Horner to left center field for an 8-3 Cubs lead. The Nats bullpen for a second consecutive night, got ripped. Uh, this was Nats manager Davey Martinez during his postgame session with reporters on Wednesday night on his bullpen. You know, hey, we battled back. You know, we came back after being down. We came back, and, um, you know, just like I said, we just got to uh, get some guys to get, to get some outs to the back end of the bullpen. The walks, you know, the walks are really, you know, what's killing us right now. You know, we're walking tons of guys there at the end there, so um, we got to get back to throwing strikes and, and, and uh, make them swing the bats a little bit. Dude, what's the biggest difference you see with Mason when he's not going well? His, his arm, some slot, shorter. Yeah, so we got to get him, get him some length again, and get him, get him back to throwing. And once he does that, you know, he he gets his head goes forward. Um, so uh, you know, we'll we'll talk to him, we'll work with him again, and, and get him back, get him back squared away. Is tonight the first time in a while that you had seen a change in mechanics, or had anything crept in before? Yeah, he, he did a, a little bit the other day, as towards the end there. So. Um, like I said, I you know, I really want want to be careful with him. I mean, like I said before, I mean, this guy's a big part of our future, so uh, I, w I want to get him get him right. Typically, of Corey from long situations, so to go to him in sort of a leverage spot with only one run game, um, what's sort of the thinking there? I know he's fresh. So. Yeah, he's fresh. I mean, he's, he's the fresh guy we had down there, so you know, just kind of like I said, it was all about getting Mason out of there before you know things went went, went awry on him. He had thirty three pitches two days ago. He had twenty seven pitches, so. Um, you know, yeah, I thought he, you know, he could, he can get, get, get one out for us, and then see what, see what happens in there, in the, in the uh, top of the ninth. How do you guys move forward when you know how much of an issue all of a sudden the, the bullpen has become because of a couple of injuries and now some poor, poor, poor performances? Yeah, we got to keep, keep battles. We always got to score some more runs for sure. Um, no, I, I think our starting pitching, you know, that you know, we pushed them a little bit. You know, I know uh, today, you know, it, was, it would have been nice to get Trevor out there again, but you know, he had 90, uh, 98 pitches after coming off a, a two inning game. You know, uh, uh, his last outing. So, um, I, I want to be definitely be careful with our starting pitching, but um, you know, I think those guys will step up and they'll they'll start pitching a little bit deeper in games, and then uh, we'll figure out figure out the back end here as we go. Yeah, the Nats now for this regular season are twenty ninth 
out of 30 major league teams in relief pitching ERA at 554 and are dead last in the majors in fewest relief pitching home runs allowed at 55. The Nats bullpen in this regular season has given up 55 home runs. Uh, this bullpen is something, man. <laughs> this is uh, not good. Uh, so the Nats in this 8-3 loss at the Cubs on Wednesday night did get a decent, albeit inefficient, outing from starting pitcher Trevor Williams. Uh, he allowed two runs in five innings. He gave up seven hits, a homer, two doubles, and four singles. He issued two walks. He recorded just one strikeout, and he threw a lot of pitches and a lot of balls. So Williams, over his five innings, 98 pitches, 58 strikes versus 40 balls. So Williams in the bottom of the first allowed a run on a leadoff opposite field home run by Mike Talkman to left field for a 1-0 Cubs lead. Williams in the inning also gave up two singles and a walk, but he in the inning uh, allowed just the one run. And Williams in the bottom of the fourth allowed a run on a leadoff full count single by Miles Mastroboni to right field and a two-out opposite field RBI double by Mike Talkman down the left field line for a 2-1 Cubs lead, despite Talkman uh, having been down in the count at one point, 1-2. In case you haven't yet figured this out, Mike Talkman killed the Nats on Wednesday night. But look, two runs in five innings from Trevor Williams isn't bad. I do wonder whether the Nats might trade Williams prior to the MLB trade deadline on August 1st. I think that they absolutely should be open to trading him. Uh, the Nats this past December signed Williams as a free agent to a two-year $13 million contract. Uh, this is his age 31 season, and he in this 2023 regular season, over 20 starts, has an ERA of 438. He certainly hasn't been great, but he has been serviceable. Uh, also not great was the Nats offense on Wednesday night. You know, the Nats had 10 hits to the Cubs 11 and yet lost 8-3. Why? Uh, well, A, the Nats went 2 for 13 with runners in scoring position. The Cubs went 4 for 9. B, the Nats had just two extra base hits to the Cubs 5. And C, the Nats drew no walks to the Cubs 6. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, the Nats did get a homer, Jamer Candelario. He is the Nats starting third baseman and number three batter. Went one for five with a solo homer. Candelario in the Nats two-run eighth had a leadoff opposite field home run to left center field to cut the Nats deficit to 3-2. Uh, Luis Garcia, he is the Nats starting second baseman and number eight batter. Went two for four with two game-tying RBI singles. Garcia in the Nats one-run second had a two-out RBI infield single on a chopper up the middle of the infield to tie the game at one. And Garcia in that Nats two-run eighth had a two-out first pitch RBI single to center field to tie the game at three. And he then had an uncontested steal of second base. Uh, two other Nats on Wednesday night had multi-hit games, C.J. Abrams and Dominic Smith. Uh, Abrams has an at starting shortstop and number one batter went two for four with two opposite field infield singles to Cubs shortstop Nico Horner deep in the hole and a stolen base. This was kind of funny. Each single was basically uh, the same thing. Uh, Abrams in the top of the third had a leadoff opposite field infield single to Nico Horner deep in the hole and to steal a second base at Abrams in the top of the seventh had a two out opposite field infield single to uh, our friend Nico Horner deep in the hole. And Dominic Smith, he is an at starting first baseman and number six batter, went two for four with two singles. Uh, the Nats' other extra base hit was a double by Capet Ruiz. Uh, he is the Nats' starting catcher and number five batter, went one for four. Uh, Capet in the top of the fourth had a leadoff double to the right field corner. But yeah, man, uh, this Nats bullpen, big time problem right now. Uh, no game for the Nats on Thursday. Next up for them is a six-game homestand beginning with a three-game series against the San Francisco Giants at Nationals Park. The Giants are tied with the Arizona Diamondbacks atop the National League wildcard standings. Game one, Friday night at 7.05, Jake Irvin will be the Nats starting pitcher. Game two, Saturday night at 7.05, Josiah Gray will be the Nats starting pitcher. And game three, Sunday afternoon at 1.35, Mackenzie Gore will be the Nats starting pitcher. So the Orioles entered Wednesday in danger of being swept in a series for the first time since suffering a three-game sweep at the Detroit Tigers in May 2022. Uh, well, the O's on Wednesday avoided being swept, and now comes the biggest series of the Orioles season so far. The O's on Wednesday afternoon beat the 
National League West leading Los Angeles Dodgers, 8-5 at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. In a game for which the start was delayed for 41 minutes due to the field uh, being in bad shape. Uh, This off rain the previous overnight as the tarp, for some reason, was not placed on the field uh, the previous night. Uh, But the O's on Wednesday afternoon did win and the Tampa Bay Rays did lose. The Rays on Wednesday afternoon lost at the American League West leading Texas Rangers 5-1, completing a three-game sweep. And so, (laughs) guess who now has the best record in the American League and is in first place in the American League East? Yes, the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, They now are 58-37, and five percentage points ahead of the Rays, who now are 60-39 and and now have lost four consecutive games. The O's have the best record in the American League. Joe Angel, my pal, talk to me. And the Orioles again in the win column. Yes, sir, Joe. And next up for the O's is a huge four-game series at the Rays. O's at the Rays Thursday through Sunday. By the way, the 2023 Orioles have become just the eighth team in American League or National League history to not get swept in each of 70 consecutive regular season series. How about that? Uh, Here was O's manager, Brandon Hyde, during his postgame press conference on Wednesday afternoon on the O's having the best record in the American League. And then you'll hear an exchange regarding the big upcoming series at the Rays. Yeah, we're, we're um, just continuing to play. I mean, we're playing. We have great attitude. Um, I love how our guys prepare to come to park ready to play. And uh, still got a long way to go. Um, but happy with our home stand and just want to continue to play well. Are you expecting this series against the Rays to have kind of that playoff uh, atmosphere? Depending on the outcome, you guys could lead that series in the lead of the division. I think almost like every time we play the Rays, there's it, it's it feels that way. So um, they're a great they're a great team. They have great pitching. Um, they have guys that have hurt us in the past in the lineup, and uh, we have to pitch to them well. And and uh, Tampa's a very very tough place to play. It's a lot different than playing anywhere else. So, but we're used to it. Um, but yeah, it's a really good team we're up against. We have to play well. Yes, you do. Well, very good game for the Orioles offense on Wednesday afternoon. Despite some bad news prior to the game, the O's on Wednesday morning placed center fielder Cedric Mullins on the 10-day injured list retroactive to Sunday due to what's now being called a right adductor groin strain. Uh, Mullins had missed the previous three games due to what had been called right quadriceps tightness, but what the injury now is being called is essentially what his previous injury was. Mullins was on the 10-day injured list from May 30th to June 24th due to a right groin strain. Never a good thing, right, when a guy comes off an injured list and then goes back on the injured list with the same injury. Uh, That certainly suggests a uh, rather lengthy absence. Although Cedric Mullins' replacement in center field, Aaron Hicks, he on Wednesday afternoon was productive once again. Hicks as the Orioles starting center fielder at number four batter, two for four with an RBI single and another single. Uh, He, in an Orioles four-run first, had a one-out RBI single up the middle to cut the Orioles' deficit to 2-1. Aaron Hicks, over 138 plate appearances for the O's, has an OPS of 845. The O's on Wednesday afternoon totaled eight runs, 10 hits, and four walks, went four for 10 with runners in scoring position. The 10 hits consisted of a homer, five doubles, and four singles. Ramon Arias, great game for him. He is the Orioles' starting third baseman and number seven batter, went two for three with a two-run double, an RBI double, and a walk, and he made a terrific defensive play. Uh, Arias in that four-run Orioles first had a two-out, two-run opposite field double off the right field scoreboard on an 0-2 pitch for a 4-2 Orioles lead. Arias in a two-run Orioles third had a two-out RBI double to left field on a 1-2 pitch for a 5-2 Orioles lead. And both of these doubles came off the Dodgers starting pitcher, Julio Arias. So it was Ramon who proved himself to be the uh, superior Arias. (laughs) Uh, Also, Ramon Arias in the top of the third made a great backhanded catch of a sharply hit grounder while running into foul territory and then delivered a bouncing throw to first base uh, for a ground out by Will Smith, who initially got a hit, but 
Brandon Hyde successfully challenged the play as uh, first baseman Ryan Mountcastle. Really good stretch uh, to receive that throw for the third out. Here was Brandon Hyde during his postgame press conference on Wednesday afternoon on Ramon Arias. Oh, Ramon had a great game. How about that play, backhand play? He made that look, one, it was so hard, (laughs) one, to catch the ball, and then the throw, the off-balance throw, enough to get it across, just uh, give Mountie credit, too, for a nice stretch and and pick there, but outstanding play there. He's been, he's just such a solid defender. Uh, You know, we saw that last year when he won the gold glove, and this year is the same same way and playing a few different spots also, but just a really solid player and got a couple of huge hits for us today. Yes, he did. Uh, Two other offensive standouts for the O's on Wednesday afternoon were two of their young guns, Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westberg. Henderson, as the Orioles starting DH and number six batter, went one for three with a solo homer and a walk. He, in a one-run Orioles fifth, had a two-out solo homer on a bomb to right center field for an 8-5 Orioles lead. The homer winner projected 431 feet per stat cast. Gunnar Henderson for this regular season is number three among all qualified Orioles players in OPS at 815. And Jordan Westberg, he is the Orioles starting second baseman and number five batter, went two for four with a double and an RBI single. Uh, Westberg in that Orioles four-run first had a one-out first pitch opposite field RBI bloop single to shallow right field to tie the game at two. You know, Westberg is doing just fine at the major league level. The O's on June 26 selected the contract of Westberg from AAA Norfolk for his first stint in the majors. He, at the time of being called up to the majors, was the number 34 prospect in baseball per MLB pipeline, and he over 63 plate appearances for the O's at the major league level has an OPS of 747. But You know, this 8-5 win over the Dodgers on Wednesday afternoon did come despite the Orioles starting pitching and not being good for a third time in three games in this series. This was not a good series for the Orioles' rotation. The 6-4 loss on Monday night, Grayson Rodriguez and his return to the majors allowed four runs in five innings. The 10-3 loss on Tuesday night, Tyler Wells allowed five runs in two innings. And in this 8-5 win on Wednesday afternoon, the former Dodger, Dean Kramer, uh, he allowed five runs in four and two-thirds innings. He was acquired Kramer uh, from the Dodgers in a trade package for third baseman slash shortstop Manny Machado in July 2018. Uh, Kramer had been pitching well lately, but he on Wednesday afternoon struggled. Now, he gave up just four hits, but three of the hits were extra base hits as he gave up two homers, a double, and a single. Uh, Andy issued four walks. Uh, Andy threw a lot of pitches. Uh, he over his mere four and two-thirds innings threw 91 pitches. However, the Orioles bullpen, which had struggled in each of the first two games of this series, uh, did come through on Wednesday afternoon. Three Orioles relievers combined for four and a third scoreless innings with five strikeouts. Uh, Danny Coulomb was terrific. Two and a third scoreless innings with three strikeouts. Yadier Cano tossed a scoreless top of the eighth, and Felix Batista a scoreless top of the ninth for the save. Those are the Orioles' three best relievers right there, Batista, Cano, and Coulomb. And how about this from Brandon Hyde during his postgame press conference on Wednesday afternoon on Danny Coulomb? That was best-case scenario, and it happened. Uh, you know, there's, there's just so many tough hitters in that lineup. And uh, you know, having the night we had last night, for Danny to do what he did, that was just, uh, for me, that was his performance of the year. Um, won us the game, honestly, but keeping the score right there in those tough innings and and getting the ball to Cano and Batista with a three-run lead. Yeah, Danny Coulomb for this regular season now, 40 games, 33 and a third innings, an ERA of 270, a whip of 1.05, and a strikeouts per nine innings of 11.07. How did the O's get Danny Coulomb? Uh, They got him via trade with the Minnesota Twins for cash (laughs) this past March. And yet another great move by O's Executive Vice President and General Manager Mike Elias. And speaking of moves by Mike Elias, the O's on Wednesday night announced another move, uh, announced the acquisition of reliever Shintaro Fujinami from the Oakland Athletics uh, in exchange for minor league pitcher Easton Lucas uh, in an attempt to uh, shore up the bullpen. Uh, And so now the O's move on to this four-game series at the Rays, a battle of the top two teams in the American League with the O's as the number one team in the American League. Game one, Thursday evening at 640, Kyle Gibson 
will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Friday show, <laughs> episode 615. We'll provide you with more, much more on the commanders given the uh, monumental day that Thursday hopefully proves to be. Uh, also, on Friday's show, we'll talk Orioles off game one of their big four-game series at the Tampa Bay Rays on Thursday evening at 640. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you on Friday.